0: Romans chapter 9 verses 1 through 15. Romans 9 verses 1 through 15. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption as sons, theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. It is not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the natural children who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time I will return, and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebekah's children had one and the same father, our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion."
1: Hey, good morning, everyone. Hope many of you have had a happy holiday time, spending with family and friends. But we're back here on the Lord's Day again, as we are every Lord's Day. Holidays don't stop us from doing that, do they? And they shouldn't. And so we are back to Romans about a month ago. And previous to that, we have been looking at lessons from the book of Romans. We had a little break for about a month now. But today we're going to look at chapter 9, we're going to continue off from where we just had the reading, starting in verse 16 and downward. But we want to just take a quick recap, because it has been a month. In this chapter, the Apostle Paul was dealing with Jews who believed they were the true people of God, as we heard from the reading. They believed that they were the true people of God because they had the law of Moses, and that they followed it, and they had descended, physically descended, from Israel, meaning only Jews. And so, they could not and they would not accept that Jesus was the foretold Messiah and the great prophet of Deuteronomy 18. So they didn't want to accept that. Instead, they said, well, we're the people of God. We have the law of Moses. We're following the law of Moses. We're descended of physical Israel. And you might remember in those lessons that those who would be the true people of God would not be physical Israel. It would be spiritual Israel. It would be the people of promise the people who would come to God by faith, just like Abraham. Those would be the true people of God. And they would be those who had faith in Jesus. Faith that he was truly God in the flesh. God the Son who came from his home in heaven and made his dwelling among us. So we also looked at a few passages from Galatians alongside of our Romans text. And if you actually go to Galatians, you'll see that Paul talks about a lot of the same stuff in Galatians as he does Romans. So the Apostle Paul showed that it was clear that the promise made to Abraham, which was later made to Isaac, which was later made to Jacob, was made to those who would come to Christ, who would accept Christ as Lord. He then made it clear that God was not unjust in choosing Isaac over his brother Ishmael. He was not unjust in choosing Jacob over Esau. God has the right to choose how he wants to work out his promises. And he has the right to show mercy to whom he He chooses, And that's what we read in verses 14 and 15. Four weeks ago, we finished with verse 16 of chapter 9. That's where we're going to start off this morning. So let's take a look at verses 16 to 18 to start. Verses 16 to 18. It does not, therefore, depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. So Paul was referring to the account of Pharaoh in the plagues of Egypt in Exodus, chapters 7 to 12. That's what he's talking about. He makes reference. He goes back to this to make his point here, and it'll become clear in, 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 in just a few minutes. So God used Pharaoh to make himself known and bring glory and praise to his name. The text says, I raised you up for this very purpose. Well, the Greek word translated as raised you up also means I have excited you. I have roused you or what I believe to be the best meaning. I have stirred you up. So God stirred up Pharaoh. When we realize that God can see past, present and future all at the same time, that helps us to understand the text better. God already knew how Pharaoh would behave. God already knew how he was going to react. He knew that Pharaoh would be prideful and challenge him through Moses. He knew that Pharaoh would never give in to his request. The things that happened to Pharaoh, the many different plagues that we read about, were not a result of God being cruel to Pharaoh. Some have looked at that account and the, the plagues and they say, oh, God is so cruel. But that's not a result of God being cruel to Pharaoh. God always had only one request which Moses made known to Pharaoh, and that was, let my people go. Let my people go. That's all God asked of Pharaoh. Let my people go. It wasn't a a hard request. It wasn't complicated. It was pretty easy. He could have done it. And that's all he wanted from Pharaoh. And Pharaoh could continue to be Pharaoh. He could continue to have all his riches. Nothing would change if he just would let the Israelites go. So the only one who was being cruel was Pharaoh. He put the Israelites through many hardships. He made them suffer and was determined to never let them go. And so this is what Paul is alluding to here. He's talking about God's mercy being shown through everything that happened. So after every plague that came upon Pharaoh, Pharaoh would ask Moses to pray to the Lord for relief. And God would bring relief. The Lord was merciful. The Lord showed compassion. But then every time following, we can always read the words, Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. So here God brings about one of the plagues. Here's Pharaoh. Oh, he says to Moses, please pray to your God. Pray to your God and ask him to stop. So Moses does so. God does it. God shows mercy. God stops. And then he hardens his heart. He goes back to the way he was before. So as I pointed out already, God knew what was going to happen. You notice I mentioned a second ago, yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said. Imagine, the Lord had already told Moses and Aaron exactly what was going to happen. Go make my request to the Pharaoh, but I can already tell you what he's going to say. This is what's going to happen. So God knew everything. So Pharaoh would not let the people go even after God brought judgment on him. After God would bring relief... Pharaoh would just go back to the way he was before and keep his tight hold on the people. So back to our text now, Romans chapter 9, verse 18. It says, Therefore God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. Paul used this verse when referring to both Pharaoh and the Jews. He's using this passage to talk about both Pharaoh and the Jews. Just as God stirred up Pharaoh back then, he was stirring up the Jews now. Their hearts were hardened. Take a look at verses 19 to 21, and we'll explain that a little bit more in just a minute. One of you will say to me, then, why does God still blame us? For who resists his will? But who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? And so the point Paul was making was that God has the right to do whatever he wants since he was the one that created us. We have to remember, and we have to put things into perspective, we are the creation, God is the creator. He has the right to do whatever he wants. And we need to realize that. He is sovereign Lord. But it is important to point out that God did not make Pharaoh or the Jews do evil, nor did he force them to do things against their will. That's a mentality that sometimes people get in the world that God can force us against our will to do things. When we read that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, or as we read here in verse 18, that God hardens whom he wants to harden, this does not mean that God exerted some kind of evil influence on the mind of Pharaoh, forcing him against his will to be evil, so that God's will would be done. That's not what it means. God did not harden Pharaoh's heart or the hearts of the Jews against their will. They did that. They're the ones that hardened their own hearts. Pharaoh had free will, and he chose to do evil and resist God, just as the Jews were now doing by rejecting Jesus. That's what Paul is getting at, that the Jews were behaving just like Pharaoh. They're hardening their hearts, and here's Jesus, and they refuse to accept Jesus as Lord, as the Messiah. The more Pharaoh resisted, the more God's power was revealed. The more the Jews resisted, the more God's power was revealed. Look again at verse 19. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us for who resists his will? The American Standard Version, the English Standard Version, and the King James Version all say, find fault instead of blame. Well, Paul replied that God has the right to do whatever he wants to do with his creation. But that doesn't mean Paul was saying that their line of reasoning was correct. Their line of reasoning was not correct. Listen to what he says. He says, one of you will say, then why does God still blame us? Paul's saying... God, your line of reasoning is not correct here. And he's trying to correct this. He's trying to help them to understand that they are accountable for their behavior. That's what Paul is addressing. The Jews here are accountable for their behavior. They reject Jesus. That is their fault. They can be blamed. So God knows that some people will harden their heart, something they choose to do of their own free will, but God will use this to bring about his own purposes and promises. And God has always done so. All throughout history, God has used evil behavior to bring about his purposes and his promises. And God can do that. He will use this to demonstrate his righteous judgment and to demonstrate his power. And God holds people accountable. All people were created, molded from the same clay. We are not in a position to question God. We are all held accountable. For our own behavior. So, one commentator by the name of Albert Barnes, and I don't always agree with this commentator, but he he shared something that I thought was pretty interesting. And he says, The argument is made. Why does he blame people since their conduct is in accordance with his purpose and since he bestows mercy according to his sovereign will? Now, keep in mind, that's the argument. That's the argument. He's not saying that this is what he thinks. He says the argument is, why does he blame me since their conduct is in accordance with his purpose and since he bestows mercy according to his sovereign will? Well, the objection is founded, number one, on the difficulty of reconciling the purposes of God with the free agency of man. In other words, people have a hard time trying to understand how does God accomplish his purposes without, without uh, negating or doing anything to my free will. How does he manage to do that? How does he manage to get things done? And my free will is not compromised. Number two, it assumes, what cannot be proved, that a plan or purpose of God must destroy the freedom of man. So that argument that I'm talking about, it assumes that what cannot be proved, that a plan or purpose of God must destroy the freedom of man. Third, it is said that if the plan of God is accomplished, man cannot be blamed. These objections are met by the Apostle in the following argument. Who hath resisted his will? That is, who has successfully opposed his will or frustrated his plan? The word translated resist is commonly used to denote the resistance offered by soldiers or armed men. So this does not mean that no one has offered resistance or opposition to God, but that no one has done it successfully. God had accomplished his purposes in spite of their opposition. In other words, God can use us our free will to accomplish his purposes. God can make things happen, not against our will, but using our will to make things happen. I'm reminded of a Bible verse which sums things up pretty good. When we think of all that happened to Joseph, you might remember the story of Joseph. You know, his brothers had thrown him in the well, and then they took him out and they sold him into slavery, and he was with Pharaoh. And after he becomes the right-hand man to Pharaoh, Later on, he's facing his brothers face to face. He reassured his brothers that everything between them was okay by saying in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So think about God uses what is evil, things that are done in evil to accomplish his purposes. See what happened? We think of Joseph. We think of Pharaoh, and then we think of Jesus, and what the Jews had done to Jesus. And God uses evil sometimes to accomplish his purposes, and to make his power and mercy known. And God is able to do that. God used the evil behavior of Pharaoh to accomplish his purposes, in the same way God knew and used the evil behavior of many people throughout history, including the Jews. And I'm referring to the Jews' rejection of Jesus, and helping to put him to death on the cross. And the Lord Lord used that event specifically to bring about salvation for for all who would accept and obey Christ Jesus. So God is able to use what is evil to accomplish his purposes and his promises. Verses 22 to 24 now. What if God, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? Even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. So God showed his wrath. He made his power known to Pharaoh and his officials. And he had great patience with people who had chosen never to be his people. God was patient with Pharaoh, even though he could have taken the Israelites out of Egypt by force. Well, we're thinking about God. God could have done anything he wanted. Think about it. God could have just taken him by force and had been done with it. But think about how that played out. Think about what God had done. He had sent Moses to Pharaoh. Let my people go. He refused. God performs something that's just absolutely amazing. His power and his mercy is showed. And so, through all of that, in the end, Pharaoh had to concede and say, Yes, your God is powerful. I will let Your people go. And so, and that's what he does. And so, in all of that, God was patient with Pharaoh, even though he could have taken those Israelites out of there completely by force. And so, he could have destroyed Pharaoh. He could have destroyed all the people of Egypt if he wanted to. Any one of the plagues of Egypt should have been enough to convince Pharaoh to let the Israelites go, but he didn't. What if God did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, the Israelites? What if God had done this so that the Israelites could see all that God had done in order to rescue them, to free them? Imagine how they must have felt when they left, when they were finally freed and they were ready to go. All that they had seen that God had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. So in the same way, the Jews abused God's great goodness. God did so much for them and blessed them in so many ways as he waited patiently, patiently, patiently for them to accept Jesus. They continued to resist the Holy Spirit. By their evil behavior, the way of God was opened up for us. As a result of their evil behavior, salvation became available to us, the Gentiles. They became the objects of his wrath. And what they did to Jesus made the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy. Those who did accept and obey Jesus. Called not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. They were the objects of his mercy. They could see what God had done. God knew already in advance what was going to happen concerning his son when he sent him. He knew that many Jews would not accept Jesus as Lord over them. He knew that they would put Jesus to death on the cross. God used what he already knew to make his purposes known, to bring about his promises. An evil act to bring about his promises and his purposes. They intended to harm Jesus, but just like in the story of Joseph, God intended it, the it referring to that horrible act of putting Jesus on the cross to death, for good to accomplish the saving of many lives in the same way. God often shows righteousness and power by showing mercy. Think about that. Let me repeat that. God often shows righteousness and power by showing mercy. When we think of the story of Pharaoh and the great patience God had with the Jews during the time of Jesus and his resurrection, we should be reminded that God is patient because he wants everyone to come to repentance, as it says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. God chooses to be patient and merciful. So let's finish this lesson by reading verses 25 and 26. As he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people. And I will call her my loved one, who is not my loved one. And it will happen that in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. And so salvation was opened up to us, the Gentiles, because of the evil behavior of the Jews at the time. All who respond to the gospel and accept Jesus as Lord are called to be God's people now. Everything had changed. God chooses us when we choose Jesus. It is God's wonderful choice. At one time, we were not the people of God, but now God accepts all who will accept his Son. Have you done that yet? Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord? Have you taken that step? Have you responded to the good news by being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, as it says in Acts 2.38? If not, won't you do that today? Won't you come forward as we sing our invitation song?